Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Very well, thank you. Very well. Yes. Some of us are probably better than others. Yeah, because the boys are still OS. How's it going? Ah, so good, so good. We got off the cruise this morning. We've transferred into our little Airbnb in Rome. It's on the fifth floor. Got a beautiful balcony overlooking the city near Campo dei Fiori, one of our favourite places. You know, the world is good. Mm. And it's very, very warm, 38 degrees. Yeah, it's a scorching 38. Mm. Yeah. What are you on a via? Uh, <laughs> a via del a Corso or something? Piazza. Oh, Piazza. Ooh. Oh, even better. Piazza Carioli, just just literally yeah, 100 metres from Campo dei Fiori, which is very nice. Is it, you know, like quite often in August, Italy is on holidays, you know, they've all gone to the seaside. So yes. is it sort of mainly tourists and some restaurants are open, some are not? It's a bit like, or it used yeah. to be, like, but I reckon it's probably changed. Rome's probably a little less like that. When we were in Milan, no, I was definitely like that. There was so much that was shut. Um, I've done that in Florence before and been there and gone, oh, God, there's nothing open, yeah. but, you know, I yeah, do remember that, but, yeah, you're probably right. How about you lot? What's going on over there? Oh, it's all happening in Perth, I'm telling you. It's all happening. Is it? I'm on Via <laughs> Del. Via <laughs> Del. I don't know. Uh, no, it's just business as usual over here, darlings. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Schmitty? Yeah, business as usual. B-A-U. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit it's hard to try and match Rome, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I replaced the bath. That's about it. Oh, that's something. Yeah. Oh, yes, I saw I that with the claw foot. Keep... The bridal bath. No, no, it's just a <laughs> the bridal bath. It's just a freestander. Uh, it's not claw foot. It goes to the ground. But okay. um, the main job was taking out the old frame and then I had to retile and put new walls in because there were no walls behind the old um and, and change the plumbing and move some electricals around. So there was a few things to do. Where did you put it in, Schmitty? In the bathroom, so not in the uh, ensuite. So just off that hallway around, the, the one that yeah. I would have used. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. We had a bath, but yeah. it was a little short and it was yeah. not very wide and it wasn't very tall. So we sorted that out. And uh, if anyone's wondering, bells, it I is a quarter past 11 in Italy right the bells, now. The and bells are ringing. The bells, yes. the bells, the bells are, are chiming. Yeah, so, get used to it. I think it, they rang about 15 minutes ago as well. So go every you know. 15 minutes, I'd say. So. Is that right? <laughs> go, it's a very it authentic experience. That's what we're trying mm. to give our listeners, a very authentic experience. Mm. All right. So I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are... Trial, trial, And what are we drinking? Well, fraudulently, we're on the beer, not the vino. Fair enough. Because we we did the booked this Airbnb and it's on the fifth floor, really lovely, but it doesn't have an elevator, so <laughs> we have to take our luggage up mm. five floors of you know tiny little Roman steps. Mm-hmm. And they had two cold beers in the fridge, so we thought we'll have That's them. Lucky. We'll you might have to get like a those. soft, lightweight goon bag to get upstairs so that you've got an <laughs> <laughs> yes. Italian goon bag. Uh, of course, that's the plan, yes. <laughs> a good lambrusco. Could you imagine <laughs> their face if you tried to order one? 
Come si dice goon bag a italiana? Sonny's laughing because that's how I get around Italy. I just say, come si dice whatever in English. That's my French one where I go, se possibile, which means is it possible? And I just add everything after that because I think it's polite. Is it possible to have this? Is it possible to do that? Is it possible to go there? Because I just don't know how else to ask things. So se possible and then off I go. But, yeah, so we each have our little signature Little go tos, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what are you drinking, Swanee? Oh, very exciting at the moment. I'm on water, and it's still so it really is bottom run, bottom shelf. Well, as long as you're remaining hydrated, that's all right. Yeah. So I am drinking. Well, I am already that much through this bottle of rose. Oh. It's a nice oh, colour, isn't it? It is a nice colour. I, it I, is. Yes, absolutely. But why I'm not worried about being that far through this bottle of rose is because it is made by a Marlborough uh, vineyard called Ara and their Sauvignon Blanc is sensational, like the, one of the best I've ever had. They're in... Are you talking about New Zealand here? Mm-hmm, New Zealand, yeah, okay, the yep. Marlborough. Yep. But I'm drinking their zero alcohol rosé for today so that I can stay neat and tidy and... When I first took a sip of it, you know, we've talked before about how no alcohol wines can be sweet, and I think yeah. that's probably just to make up for the fact that there's no alcohol in them. It's I don't think I've ever sweet. had non-alcoholic wine mm. because for someone like me, there probably wouldn't be much point. Yeah, because well, think yeah, everyone, would, everyone would think I'm the person who's the prime candidate, but it's kind of the opposite it's if I'm drinking. Right? Yeah. yeah, I doesn't. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, of all the non-alcoholic wines that I've had, this is probably one of the nicest. It is. It is a little bit. It's a little sweet. It's got a nice tart finish, a little grapey, but not not grape juice. So I can say if anyone's uh, interested, try the Ara Zero Rosé, and that's what I'm drinking. Who's got a story for us? I do. I have a story for us. Awesome. haven't heard one from you in a while. No, it's been a while, and I've tried to uh, change the channel, as it were, because I think that in recent months I've been sort of on this sort of journey of not being able to handle anything too macabre. But I thought, you know what, enough. So Dive right I- in, <laughs> get right in there, up to your ears in macabre. You put your big balls yeah. on. It's not the goriest we've ever had, but it's it, there's enough in there to, um, to shift me away from people walking across tightrope. <laughs> Oh, what are we saying? Well, it's little Phil. It's not in the same vein as that. That asshole. I don't want to give too much away at the very beginning, as I often don't, and I appear to have left my sources downstairs, so I'll just rattle them off. I have used Murderpedia, which is always a bit of a giveaway. Yes. Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Criminal Minds Wiki, and I'll have to come back to you and remind them because I did watch a little little mini documentary, but I, I must get the correct answer. Was one of Clown Passions? No, it was not. I do remember it was season one, episode one, which I thought was unlikely, but that's what it said. But And um, one of my kids walked in while I was watching it and went, oh, my God, I can't believe you're using that platform. And I was like, is it a platform? I just found it on the internet. I didn't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I was like, it didn't cost me anything. Who cares? But it was actually quite useful. In terms of where I shall start, I wanted to sort of do what I often do, which is I love a little bit about the geography. And... <laughs> And maps. Here we go. I do. I've been on. You know, I bet it's map time, people. I've been on. I've had to go onto Google Maps because this is an area that I was not familiar with, and I needed to sort of place it in my mind so I could get a feel for sort of the um, setting for these crimes. It is. It is important. So the we start in Canada, 
and we are on the east coast. So it's in a province called New Brunswick. Now, there are 13 provinces in Canada and there are three that are called maritime, obviously, which means that they face um, or have some exposure to the ocean. But this is the only province that is both English and French as official languages. So it's not yeah. Quebec, which is, I, don't, I can't, couldn't French say that it said officially that it was French, but it is, you know, for all intent and purpose, French. Everyone knows where sort of New York is. So if you're not quite sure where you are, go straight up north yeah. from New York and you'll sort of hit Montreal and Quebec. It's off further to the right and it sits, New Brunswick sits between Quebec and Nova Scotia, which we all seem to have a bit of a feeling for, you know, Nova Scotia is just up and above and if you're on, I don't know, the Titanic or whatever else, you're heading out past there across to get across the okay. Atlantic. So we're on that side, okay? Okay. Um, so geographically it would be, it's, you know, as so many places in Canada are, spectacular and where we have our story based is an area called the Miramichi which sounds quite unusual but they they refer to the area as the Miramichi and there is a Miramichi river but the area that they were referring to when this crime or crimes were committed was at the time known as the Miramichi since then there has been one of the areas within the story has become Miramichi as a city so geographically, it's based on a river that comes in from the Atlantic and, you know, quite a picturesque place, very heavily, I don't know if you call it woods or forest, but you could imagine those tall green, um, yeah, you know, forest, Canadian forest, called, forest, yeah. forest sort of thing with, you know, beautiful weather and extraordinarily probably harsh winters and somewhat mild and very much celebrated summers when I'm probably quite short when they come through. Really the kind of picturesque place that you would probably set a crime if you were just coming up with something, you know, off your own, at <laughs> your own head and went, you know what, where can we terrorise a group of people who live a pretty laid-back, relaxed life? I thought and, you were going to um, say the perfect place where you would, like, set a TV drama or something. Like, no, no. It's well, you not could do that. Trees, it's no, not it's one of those things exposure. where it's, no, it's something, murder. Something nice, <laughs> yeah, something that's sort of very sort of quaint, Pretty, you know, peaceful community living there. And Not I a lot know goes both on. of the shows, I, by the way, I know both of the shows I just referenced were set in Alaska. In Alaska, yeah. That's not my point. I was just talking about these really magnificent forested areas. Yes. Okay, so tell us what happened there when someone got it into their head to set their crime Our there. story started at the uh, mid to late 80s, so we're actually in 1986. The local police force in, I think, it was uh, Chatham, uh, which is just, you know, there's just basically small and larger towns throughout the Miramichi, and I'll refer to a couple of them as we go, and some of them are more important than others based on the movement around uh, the community. But early morning, uh, there's a 911 call made by a Mary Glendenning, and she's called the police, and she's basically been able to communicate that she has been beaten and robbed, but she believes her husband, who's with her, is dead. Mary and John um, Glendening own a convenience store and their home is at the back of the convenience store, like just a little shop. Yeah. Not exactly a 7-Eleven, but more like, you know, our old corner shops where I guess in the 80s, you know, there aren't many left these days, but a locally run local convenience store. They heard yeah. someone breaking in, they could hear that, and they went to investigate and they were attacked immediately. And Mary becomes unconscious in the assault and it's only later that she wakes up to find that her husband has been murdered. So she when did. she's come to, she's been able to call the police. 
they've turned up and she is able to communicate very quickly that she thinks she knows who attacked her because they own the local convenience store. They know everybody in a small community like that. They've been doing it for a long time. They're well-respected. They're well-liked. Everybody knows who they are. And likewise, they know most of the people who are their customers or certainly people who people are talking about. So she says straight off the bat that she believes that one of the people that um, broke into her house and the ringleader was a man called Alan Legere. So she tells the police that and she says that he had two accomplices, which were two younger men. So three people broke into their house, attacked both, sexually assaulted Mary as well, and then went on to kill her husband. So at this so point, she was it's unconscious. Not... Yes. Did they sexually assault her before that, or did she sexually did they sexually assault her while she? Yeah, right, okay. I don't know that, but they were both beaten heavily, especially the the, the husband was beaten to death. Essentially, really, yeah. very violent and vicious crime. And the way it sort of been portrayed is that just imagine how scary to be. I mean, I'm not saying they were elderly, but they were not young. They weren't a young couple. They were probably, actually, they were probably in their 50s, which is, of course, Our I can't age. believe I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> they might have been a bit older, to be honest, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't elderly. They weren't far off. But they weren't young. Yeah. But they were sort of in that kind of older, older couple set kind of thing, but but not, you know, mm-hmm. geriatric or anything. And this violent struggle ensued. And, of course, then they've gone on to attack them so violently and just, I'm sure if they said we want to rob you or whatever else, so they would have probably let them take it, but it wasn't enough yeah, just yeah. To, to rob them. It had to be this level of violence which just seemed off the charts at the time. So it doesn't take the police long to find the ringleader, Alan Legere. He has a history of burglaries and violent assault and he's got a big reputation within the criminal community of the Miramichi. And that's partly because he's big. He's big and he's strong and he's a really good fighter. So I'm assuming that one would have to have been a couple of fights for them to actually be able to come to that assumption. And he's also not afraid to use weapons. He's a bad guy. He's one bad dude and people know about him. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't have a good reputation. People are aware of him. There is very little known about his upbringing. He was born in Chatham, which is in New Brunswick, obviously, and his father left very early on. It would appear that he had a couple of brothers. I think there were three boys in total and they grew up with a single mother in a pretty poor area. But beyond that, there isn't a great deal about there's no big backstory. So there's not going to be some big reveal where this had happened. This is very much a story that's set as it goes on in the present. And I really can't give you a great deal as to what motivated him to be so violent other than the fact that he grew up in a very sort of criminal kind of environment. Yeah, okay. So we don't know if his father beat him or his, you know, No, nothing. I have no, none of that at all. Um, It was said that he could be charming, but he could be brutal. He could be articulate but he could also be very blunt. So depending on who he was speaking to at any given time, he was this guy who had different facets to his personality where he wasn't like gruff and awful all the time. Sometimes he actually was very charming and I wouldn't quite say endearing, but, you know, people were sort of engaged by what he had to say, but it was always known that he had a very violent streak. So Mm. everybody was kind of aware that you might get any of these different sides to him on any different day. But you don't want to piss him off whatever. You know, everybody knew that. So in January 1987, Alain Legier and the two others are convicted of second-degree murder and he is imprisoned at Atlantic Institution in a town called Reno. Reno, I think, actually, Reno. And that's the end of my story. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. But hang on a minute. I think Alan, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> 
no 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 so alan goes to prison being caught Mm. being convicted step one yeah yeah and off he is he's in prison two years later on may the 3rd 1989 he is taken to a hospital a hospital from the prison to a, a nearby town called monkton and he's taken to a hospital there because he has an ear infection that is severe enough or warrants him having to go and see a specialist. So two guards take him. He's shackled with leg irons, he's handcuffed, and he also has body chains. So they're not leaving anything to chance. He's a violent customer, not a – he's a violent customer. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, well, he's yeah. Not, he's, I'm okay with yeah, that word. Yeah. yeah, so okay. he's being <laughs> escorted and they, they know what they're up against. They're, they're under no um, misapprehension that he is going to be some guy that you'd sit so, comfortably yeah, in the back yeah. Yeah, they know that they need to be on high alert. When they walk into the hospital, they're standing at the reception and they're checking in. He just asked the guard if he could just go to the washroom. He just needs to go to the toilet. So they agree. Off he goes to the toilet. However, whilst he's in the toilet, he is unable to take a makeshift key that he's made so that he's unable to undo the restraints. I don't know how good you'd have to be at that, but if you'd made a makeshift mm. key to undo those, I mean, you'd have to be able to work, A, pretty quickly, and it'd have to be like you'd have to have had practice or something. It just seems too I good to be true. So was he, was he if able I to do it? If I made a makeshift key, it wouldn't work. Because he kept saying he, he was, was unable able to. to do it. Oh, did I? Yeah. yeah. What did yeah, I say? He kept yeah. saying, twice you said unable, and that's why I'm like, okay, yeah. where's the story? <laughs> oh, sorry. So he's made a, sh- a, a she, I nearly said, a makeshift key. Key, a makeshift of key. Of which he is Able to. Able. Did I say unable to twice? Oh, my God. Twice, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. That's a worry. That's a huge worry because I didn't even know that I'd said able or unable. (laughs) Anyway, he's able. (laughs) Telling a story. To produce this key, makeshift key, and he's able to get out of his restraints. I don't know if it's all of them, but it's enough for him to be able to ridiculous. Well, were they like the kind of thing, like kind of, uh, what do you call them, handcuffs that you would have got in the Inspector Gadget show bag at the Royal Melbourne <laughs> show. Oh, uh, maybe. Made of oh, I thought you were going to say at the, at the sex shop. What was her name? Jacqueline Lover no, would have been in the UK. I not going Pink to say. Ones. No, <laughs> and Summers. And Summers. No, I, was, was I wasn't going to make a reference to sex, sexual <laughs> toys. No, I, was, no. I, I meant more like kids' set. Yeah. That you could make a makeshift thing because otherwise, do they all have the same mechanisms? Like, I don't know. It seems like a bit of a stretch to me, but that's what happened. And is that weird? I mean, at what point? I, I can't imagine he could have been in there too long, or they would have been suspicious, right? Do you not think that keys for handcuffs, when you've seen them on TV, yeah. look a little bit like a very small version of a cupboard lock key? You know, the yes. old cupboard yeah. locks, they yeah. were all the same. You can literally yeah, go yeah. to Bunnings and get a spare. Maybe yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, so he had a bobby pin or something and that worked. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it worked. So he was able to burst out of the washroom and push the guard immediately and then run. He's so dramatic. So he's run out into the car park, got outside, sprinted out there, and in the car park he's accosted a local Moncton resident, a woman called Peggy Olive, who is just getting into her car. So he grabs her, gets her in the, the driver's seat, whatever, uh, sorry, pushes her across to, from the driver's seat to the side and he then threatens her with a ship. But the ship is made out of a TV antenna. And on different, I only saw this, funny you should say that, I've only read in on my notes. I'd written it down because I couldn't remember the correct word, correct, a TV antenna. An aerial. But he'd kept it in, an aerial. Piece he'd of kept aer- it in. His, up his ass? Yes, 
But I'd written right. anus. So I thought that's not right because it's rectum. In his anus. In his rectum. In his, anus, in his rectum. <laughs> but he'd had oh, that. The Ariel in the I anus was, trick. I wonder oh, if he was picking up airwaves. <laughs> well, I don't like the idea. Move it around. In the, oh, yeah, it sounds very uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm not a fan. So he threatens her with that, you know, and she said, you know, he was, he's, she, he was terribly and scary. And it smelled like and shit. I bet it's oh, like Get that shit weapon oh, away yeah. from me. Shitty <laughs> shiv away from me. <laughs> I'll get infected if you stab me with that. Mm. Oh, gosh. So off they drive. And- In that instance, though, what oh, would you yes. have done out of interest? So he shoves you into the driver's side, did you say, through the passenger seat into so, the driver's yeah. side? Because they're She's tr- driving, so, all- yeah, she must have been I'm there. Well, she wouldn't have been getting the other side, yeah. What would you have done? Got out the other door if there was time. Oh, exactly. I would have opened the other door. There and must just have been rolling. some reason why yeah. she couldn't. He must have already been oh, threatening shock. her, I'd imagine. Fright, yeah. Fear and shock, shock. Though, but anyway, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. FYI, drop and roll, drop and roll. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so he, she said that he was actually threatening but also a bit sort of a, somewhat calm with it. She said he wasn't yeah. terribly panicked. He was very clear that, you know, he would hurt her if she didn't do the right thing but he wasn't overly you know, Aggressive. emotional about it. Yeah, no, correct. I, I might have so, got to tell you once. Obviously the guards have been able to get word out, so the police have set up local roadblocks. He releases her unharmed. You know, she gets out the side of the road and he leaves her and off he drives and she's fine. So Peggy Olive's still kicking, I think, and you can have a bit of a chat with her. She, she's a very lucky woman. Now the police know how dangerous Alan Legier is, having already attacked and murdered the Glendennings, Glendenning, or the, the husband. Mr. Glendenning, yeah. Mr. Glendenning, Mrs. Glendenning, obviously, they thought she was dead when they left, but she was unconscious. I think that was what was lucky for her was the fact they actually thought that she wasn't going to, she'd already died mm. when she was unconscious. She was just, that was just freaky, wasn't it, really? So, unfortunately, at this point, I learned a new word today. The police dragnet fails. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was what a dragnet was. I know that was a movie called that, but I had to look it up just to check that it was that's what it meant. And of course, that's what it meant. That's where they close a whole region right. and try and of stop. Of course, they dragnets. Like it's like yeah. taken from fishing order, you know, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. close. Yeah. I'd never and actually really thought about it. Uh, Roadblocks yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So at this so point, they're on the, the dragnet lamb. fails. <laughs> they're on the lamb. And he's on the yes. lamb. <laughs> and he's on the lamb. So apprehension starts to grow for the residents of the Miramichi. And the, which is the area north of Moncton, because Moncton's, uh, you know, a, a, probably a bigger town. And then Miramichi and where he's from is further north. And they start to get a little bit concerned because, well, he's from that area. And of course, that was where he had committed the crime. And also, there's a lot of sort of area that he could hide out there. So they start to get a little bit concerned up in the Miramichi that. As the home of Alan Legier, that's where he could be headed. And so they start to ask questions like, is he coming back? Is he coming here? Is he coming for retribution? Because in having gone through the initial court case, you know, a lot of people would have said a lot of things, right? And everybody had an opinion uh, with him before yeah. this even happened. He wasn't, he was a well-known but not well-liked character. So he had a lot of enemies. And so, you know, the, the general gist of everybody out around the I was going to say the town, but the area, was it anyone who they who thought they had wronged him or crossed him, feared for their lives, but yeah. actually no one realised just how frightened they should be. It, would, it would, wouldn't matter who you were. So actually it wasn't retribution oh. for anyone in particular. 
everyone was going to be fair game for Alan Legere. Oh, no. Spree killer. There's a reason why he is known as the monster of the Miramichi. And we're about to find out. Uh And that's where your story ends? That's where the story ends. He just goes, and who are we going to sentence? (laughs) Not quite. (laughs) Right. So that was in, where were we? That was May the 3rd, 1989, that he escaped. So I was going to ask, and I think you may have already clarified by giving us that lead into where we're headed with this, but was he actually guilty of attacking the couple that he went to jail for. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I did wonder so, whether something was going to change there. Yeah, no, I wondered if no, we were no, going no. into some TV movie type storyline where he's wrongfully convicted and he escapes and he's trying to prove his innocence. But clearly no, no, no. No, no he's doubling down. And no, we are not there. No, he said you've got, you, more, you got more me for one. to carry out. <laughs> So I just want to revisit the timeline so that we know where we are because things start to happen quite quickly at this point. So he was born in 1948 and his first crime that that we are aware of, which although there were probably many other small ones, Robinson, Mm. is June 21st is when he attacks the Clendennings. Um, So it's June 21st, 1986. January 1987, he's convicted. And two years later in 1989 in May is when he's taken to the hospital and escapes in Moncton. So now he's... The, an escapee, and everybody's yeah, on tenor hooks, a little bit concerned of where, where's he going to turn up. But you wouldn't yeah. expect him to go nuts. No, mm. you know, where's he going to turn up? Stay, Who knows? You know, you know is he going to come back yeah. to our area? They're like, oh no, maybe not. So a few weeks go by, and only a few weeks, <laughs> because on May 29th, we find ourselves at another convenience slash grocery store, and this is called the Flam Store, and it's owned by the Flam family, F L A M. And mm. I believe they're sisters-in-law and not sisters, but I did, it was communicated differently in different um, uh, articles that yeah. I read. Yeah. But Annie Flam and Nina Flam ran this store, the Flam grocery store, and they lived in sort of, um, I always get this wrong in real life, what's the word, when two buildings are next to each other? Two houses that are like Duplex, yeah. There were duplex apartments behind, next to and behind the convenience store. So Annie lived in one and Nina lived in the other, but, you know, they were directly next to each other. So I think it was Annie. She closes up the store at about 11 p.m. And at the same time, Nina's already upstairs in bed reading in her apartment. I don't know what they call it apartment, but think of it as like a, you know, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs small little. Top. I would think it was more of like a little townhouse kind of thing. Yeah, often townhouse And then, And then nothing until the next morning when somebody sees in the early hours a fire raging from the top floor of the women's duplex. The fire department are called and when they get there, they find Nina badly beaten but alive at the back door of one of them trying to get out. And unfortunately, Annie didn't escape. They find her dead and burnt body in the bed upstairs. They were able to take Nina Flan to hospital, Flam, not Flan, Flam to hospital, and she's desperate to communicate to them what has happened. And she's able to tell them that she was, she heard footsteps coming towards her bedroom. A man burst in and assaulted her. He tied her up and he held a knife to her throat. And then he sort of ransacked the apartment, then beat her up, then sexually assaulted her. Then he gently tucked her in to bed with a she said with a degree like he was actually quite gentle at this point and then he went what? and lit the cupboard he lit the bottom he of the set bed the place on fire. and lit yeah. the door 
and then did off he, he think ran. she was dead at that point? No, no, he didn't. But he knew that she was tied up. He knew that the fire would finish the job. We assumed the fire would finish the job. Jesus. He's After fasting. he left, she was able to get out of the. That is sick, isn't it? And then at that point, he's gone directly into. Actually, I don't know if that was which way it went. Who was first? Actually, I don't know the answer to that. But they do know that essentially exactly the same thing had happened to Annie. He had, you know, beaten her, sexually assaulted her, and then she was unable to get away when he basically lit her place on fire. So maybe hers was. Maybe she was first. unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But there was evidence left at the scene. So whilst they didn't know that it was him, there was a couple of different people that were suspects. A lot of the people in the local community were already convinced that it had to be Alan Legere. They were like, this is definitely his work. Yeah, you know, this right. is something he's, yeah. he's done. You know, they, and they, you could imagine you're already starting to get this sort of whipped up sense of fear and what's going on in our community where people, you know, old adage, but, you know, would never had to lock their doors. Everybody knew everybody. It was a pretty quaint kind of relaxed town and all of a sudden mm. they are being terrorised. or you know, Under they're, they're, siege. Or, exactly. It and sounds like a horror movie. Too, it, it does. does. Yeah. It, and it, even the setting, the whole thing plays out exactly like that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a young boy interviewed and he, he said, I just don't understand why someone would would hurt them. Then you, talk, you see another one, which may well be his mother, I'm not sure, and she said, I just don't know what we're dealing with here. She said, you know, it's two because they nothing had really happened before the Glen Dennings and now the Flam sisters, both having stores, so both well-known to the, the entire community and now the two of them are dead. So yeah. Mr Glen Denning and survived completely by Mary. Totally, totally. Just, you know, people going about their normal day-to-day living and they've been gone in and mm. like really, really brutally murdered. It's a lot and of violence. To cover up the evidence. It's a lot. It's a lot of violence. I think that's what's so terrifying about it, right? Mm. This personal because there's nothing personal there. which would create or, or find in, out. inflame that violence. <laughs> He's just, ugh, yeah. So June 1989, so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have sort of two investigations going on at that point. They've got Alan Legier as an escaped prisoner and, you know, they're trying to locate him and now they have this... Uh, Psycho killer. Kiss, kiss, yeah, somebody. And they're, kiss, they're kiss, trying... Yeah. In some ways they're trying to draw a comparison. Otherwise, they don't want to automatically go to that conclusion. So they're, they're well, doing no, investigation. because there's investigation no motive or anything for him to no. just escape and start randomly killing people. Yeah. Yes. So they're trying to work out if the person behind the deadly attack on the Glendarings is the one or the, and the same person as what's happened to the Flans, the Flans. sisters. Mm. What the people of the Miramichi realise is that no one is safe. And whilst there's no concrete proof that it's Alan Legere, you could imagine that the local community starts to really ramp up, ramp like, up cute, how they feel about that. music. Absolutely. Get the shotgun out. Yep. Interestingly, it's, you know, given that it was 1989, 1989 there is a new development which may be able to help them solve this crime. And that new DNA? is DNA. Yes, DNA. DNA. Good old DNA. What is kind yeah. of, it's not funny, but it's kind of. Because surely he's been funny. leaving it around. Correct. So at the scene oh, of uh, the attack on the Flam sisters, they phrase. had semen and hair. Semen and hair. Oh, All right, there you go. His, obviously. Yep. I've just been leaving it around. But, yep. Been leaving my fluids everywhere. <laughs> 
So whilst this new science is starting to come into effect, they are building, and it's not yet built, a new lab in Ottawa, which is obviously the, Canada, the, the capital of Canada. So they're not quite there yet. Do you know what I mean? They're trying to use DNA testing, and, yeah. but it really is at it was that exact early. moment. Yeah, yeah, it's that exact yeah. moment. Will it work? Like when I was do? learning chemistry and I would mix things together <laughs> and they'd say, if you did this and you did this, it'll bubble. No, it'll, it'll turn green. And so I do this and this and it bubbles up and it goes everywhere. I'm like... How did I do that? All right, I imagine that's what's happening in the DNA lab. Sometimes they get it right, sometimes it's completely yeah, wrong. I think it was, you know, just at the forefront of that sort of moment in the science coming to fruition. Do we know about secretors and non-secretors at this point? No, oh, it hasn't come okay. into this at this point. I don't okay. know. No. I've forgotten them. Back to it, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> so whilst they're trying to, they do have other suspects and they are collecting samples from the other suspects that they've had. Carla, do you know if they collected samples the same way back then as they do now? That I don't know. Do they have to get a sample of the same source of DNA or could they still scrape the cheek? I don't know. When they took I'm samples, hoping not. I think, well, because they probably use semen for blood type as well. So I'd say that they took the sample and kept it, you know, like on ice or something. In I was just thinking what an awful job it would be to be the semen collector of Potential suspects. Put a swab, put it on a film. That's what forensic people do. Yeah. Well, you've oh, got to get oh, it. Oh, I know though. what you mean. Sorry, were you, did you mean, were they <laughs> yes, co- yes, collecting, yes. were they taking were they DNA milking profiles? The dog kind of thing? No, even now they don't make people orgasm yes. in order to get their DNA profiles. They get a swab yeah. on their bloody in their That's mouth. what I'm saying. That's what they do now. What I'm saying is, you know, if back then, yes. whilst it was all I'm pretty kind sure they never asked people just to knock one out yet. Yeah. Well, no, I was worried about that someone might actually have to go and knock one out for them, knock one of theirs no, out, you know, give them a helping hand, so to speak. Oh. Madam Palmer, and her five children. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had read somewhere. Just desperately trying to bring humour to the story, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that there was a DNA milker on the... Imagine if that was, imagine if that was your job. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police did not have <laughs> Royal Canadian Mounted Police milk milkmaid <laughs> as part of the job. <laughs> An octopus. A whole lot of hands. There's eight suspects and you can do them all at once. <laughs> oh. Edward Waker hands. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry, Swanee. We digress. That's okay. So as um, the summer of 1989 progresses, there are no new leads and thankfully there are no more murders. So things start to settle down a little bit and people start to arrive at the assumption that perhaps he, if it is Alan Leger, he's left the area or... He's gone again. Yeah. It, it, yeah, he's he's moved on. And they're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable. Which Q is Hugh Jaws music. They've put their shotguns away. On October the thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine, in Newcastle, which is another town in the Miramichi. And if I understand correctly, a little bit more remote, sort of further away from God, even better. Mm. Chatham. He visits two sisters, Donna and Linda Dorney. So in a dark corner of Newcastle where these two sisters lived in a house, Donna was at home alone and after sunset a man has crept into her backyard and made his way into the house. Linda, however, was not in the house at the time. She was with a friend 
she'd gone out for a cup of coffee and she came back a, a little bit later. She walked home, she waves goodbye to her friend at the end of the street and then as she's walking into the property, he attacks her straight on, hitting her in the face and taking her down. Jesus. And again, no one knows that this has happened until the next morning when there's a fire at Donna and Linda Dorney's house. So the firefighters arrive to what they think is a fire and, of course, they go upstairs and there are two bodies of the sisters upstairs. One of the people who had collected evidence was interviewed and I saw him and he said that he'd seen, not that sort of (laughs) evidence really, (laughs) he had seen... The five digits of uh, two hands. Oh, no. no. The ten (laughs) digits. No, down a door. And he said you can tell where they start to sway with the blood, like, going down. So he's closed them in and they must have still been. Oh, Oh, that's horror movie. Central. It is a horror movie, isn't it? really is. There were also stockings that had knots in them. And this same gentleman said it looked like the place had been ransacked. He said... He looked like he said it looked like it was a mad person, someone who was really upset and just out of control. Not necessarily someone who was looking to rob things. He said it was just carnage. He said it was so crazy. He said both of them had been badly beaten, and again, both of them had been sexually assaulted, and they were able yet again to take semen and hair samples, of course, which is very important with that octopus. Yes, but of course, we have no nobody's seen this there's no one around and so the rc mp sorry so this goes back to i mean paul was being a bit silly before but at this time did the police actually have a dna profile for him or was this before it was sort of a it comes as as the investigation's going on so i think what they end up is with two that they can they can put two of the the two guys the same person doing it yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So just got to find him. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. Because I really can't remember exactly what year it came happening. in, but they now anyone who commits a crime gets their DNA yeah. on, on file. Yeah. And I, I don't know now that you say that, maybe they already had it on it's file pretty early. done it before. Yeah. But, but he didn't they probably se- did. Oh, no, he did sexually assault the first lady, didn't he? No, I don't know that he yeah, did. Yeah, he did sexually oh, assault her. He did, yes, yeah, he did. He did. Um, yeah, yeah. Mary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, but they may or may not have collected... Well, they might not have of him because at the time it's like, what's the point? And so then the, as, it, yeah. as DNA okay, then yeah, yeah. progresses, yeah. So the Royal Canadian Mounted Police start a 200-door knock. You know, they go to two different, 200 different houses and everyone is really <laughs> freaking out. Now. And yeah. people start buying, if they didn't already have them, people start buying guns. It is yeah. people are right, I need to be ready for this. Is there a serial killer on the loose is kind of where everyone's head's at. Is it Alan Legere? And then, of course, the police start to, th- start to think, you know, well, where is he then? Is is he being harboured? Is someone looking after him? So they have to bring in special forces from Ottawa and they bring in like these you know, armed kind of what I would call sort of more serious-looking police who are really, you know, they're there to Not to like find those clowns man. they had earlier. Yeah, not like, you know, the guys who are like the little local guys. Yeah, and at the same time they, they then start roaming areas of both sides of the river, of the Miramichi. They've got people going up and down, looking in wooded areas, looking for a camp, trying to find out if he's living there because that's what the assumption yeah. is. And they also start having aerial surveillance as well. So there are helicopters going over the river, any of the sort of, you know, heavily dense wooded areas. It'd be pretty just hard if he's out, out there his... in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Unsurprisingly, October 31st, Halloween is cancelled for the Miramichi. <laughs> It's, or, it's already there. <laughs> or yeah. is it? Absolutely. They're already living it, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's got to the point where <laughs> no right. one's really living alone unless they have to. If you oh are God. somebody, you know, families are just bunkering in together. People are, floodlights apparently are like were sold out because people are just lighting their entire, you know, yeah. yards, compounds, whatever it was, leaving the lights on. He was their yes. very own sort of yeah. boogeyman. I'd be saying don't live with your sister. So in early November, DNA tests confirm what the community already knew. The Flam sisters or sister-in-laws and the Dorney sisters can be crimes that can be related to Alan Legear, yeah. But before they have time to share this with this information publicly, Um, he strikes again. again. He has created essentially a hunting ground in the Miramichi. It is just horrendous. So on November 16, we're now sort of looking at how the community is coping and one of the areas that people have found some support and solace in is the local churches. So the, the churches are trying to give people somewhere to go, somewhere safe, somewhere that they can just have a little bit of a moment so with everybody absolutely terrified, I think the churches were trying to offer somewhere of sanctuary for the local community and people sanctuary. were really, really, sanctuary. trust me, I could imagine yeah. subscriptions were up, let's put it that way, because, you know, <laughs> A, people were trying to find some, I guess, not not quite solidarity, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, some kind of common ground with their community they they wanted to feel reassurance they had some horrendous crimes committed so I guess they were you know praying for those people as well but one of the figures was a father James Smith and he was a real father figure in Chattanooga and you know he was the kind of father that was people loved him they reckon that he probably visited the sick every day of his life so on November 16th he had just a service for the local community Although I have to say at 7pm I wouldn't be going outside in the dark at all. But at 7 o'clock people start to arrive for his evening service. But by 7.15 there's no Father James Smith. So two parishioners go over to the rectory and they look in through the door of his kitchen where apparently it looked like a torture chamber. There was Father Smith dead who had been beaten to death and was next to a safe and they wondered if he'd been threatened and, you know, Alan and she was trying to get him safe, safe, but he didn't. He had been so brutally beaten that his ribs had become separate from, I guess, his spine, like they were no longer attached, which would suggest that he'd been jumped on with real force. Crushed, yeah. And as a lot of the people in the community said, and, like, these were some older men that I I was watching who were being interviewed who were part of the the investigation, whether it be the police force or, you know, forensics or whatever else, they all described this as the darkest day because they said the scale of violence against Father um, Smith was like nothing they'd ever seen. It was just unbelievable the brutality of it and because there had been no fire they could truly see it for what it was whereas Mm. I think with the other ones where the fire was there it was a case of kind of putting the piece of the puzzle together and what was left and you know the people who were putting those things together could do that but this was just what you could see looked like a torture chamber and this man had been brutally murdered so they thought maybe he'd left in a hurry because that was being a priest that would make it more terrifying wouldn't it Ooh, really for the community, like they kind of view the church as a safe space, and that's 
Oh, yeah. of course. No and that's what safe. they thought they were trying to do that. He was the, you know, the Father Smith was trying to give them some kind of respite from the, you know, the horror of being at home, you know, once yeah, nightfall, yeah. especially, I'm sure it'd be horrendous. And, and do they think that's why he targeted him? To take that yes. away from the community? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is that calculated too? Oh, he once he once he sort of got you know on with it, he had a real idea of what would really have maximum impact. Point. Wait, what else? Well, yeah. what can I do next? Who can I get to next? What was pivotal in the fact that he hadn't lit the rectory was the fact that he left crucial evidence. He'd walk throughout the house and in the pools of blood that he that had been left there by Father um, Smith. His footprints and the very identifiable track of his shoes was mm. left all over the place. It was everywhere. So they're able to find Father Smith's car at a motel not too far away and also nearby were the work boots that had been discarded and that matched the prints in the rectory. And at this point, Paddock is off the charts in mm. the Miramichi. Can you? I can imagine. He's now murdered Father Smith. If this was a horror movie, I'd have turned it off by now. You know, they were saying it was so bad, the level of violence that I've heard it described that that the victims were unrecognisable as humans by the time it had been, he was finished with them. Yeah. Mm. So as I said before, people are just bunkering down, floodlights are lighting up the whole place. There's essentially a curfew in place. Everybody's at home and it's now one of the largest manhunts in Canadian history. Swanee, you know how at the start you said that you were going to um, go away from some of the more lighthearted stories? Yes. I just want to congratulate you on succeeding. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this one's making me feel a little ill. I'd said something about it and I, I couldn't quite understand the way the, the crime was presented to start with and I thought, oh, the name sounds more interesting than, than the crimes. And then when I actually started looking at it, I was like, oh, my God, can you mm. even imagine? And mm. I've brought this up many times because it's my only reference point, but because it actually is at exactly the same time in the very late 80s, so exactly at the time this was happening, and growing up race, in Wollongong, in we the had gong. the Bulleye Ray Fest, mm. yes. Yeah. And mm. we had a situation where it was so prolific in the end, you know, we were having to, you know, we, we'd called the police to our house. We had to be home. You couldn't do stuff. And the, the guy was getting away in the gutters. So it's this idea of when you have this fear, every sound, everything becomes amplified. So I cannot mm. even imagine the terror. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just unimaginable, right? You would, would I mean, would, would you sleep? How do you yeah, make your children away. feel safe? It's beyond mm. my comprehension. The way this has happened over such a short period of time when they think they know who it is, they can't find him, he's out there. It's freaky. That's and and the priest murder being oh, you know what it is, I think yeah. would would break people who are kind of going, you know, we can we can live through this, but we'll totally. stay together. That would just be yeah. the last straw, I would imagine, for for some people. I saw um, somebody uh, interviewed, but he'd been blacked out, so you couldn't um, see him. But he broke down and he said that when Father Smith was murdered, he said, and I mean, I have no idea what the relationship with this person, you know, with the father was. It might have been that he was one of his, you know, most devoted parishioners, whatever. But he said he felt like part of him died that day. He said, that part of me that I will never get back. And I can imagine that, you know, yeah. any any innocence or anything that you think is going to be good in life when you're the figure of, you know, someone yeah. they'd probably all grown up with, someone who is the nicest, kindest, most charitable person in the community is slain. I imagine it would do some seriously th- awful things to your 
to your brain. Psyche. It's not, no, yeah. your psyche, your brain, your psyche, that's the word, darling. Yeah. So he's, again, very effective, isn't he? At this point, Father Smith has been murdered and the Crown Prosecutor, who I've seen interviewed, says, you know what, at this point we think he probably has temporarily had to leave the Miramichi and they believe he's gone but they reckon he's going to come back because they, they can't find him. You know, there's roadblocks, there's everything. They've, you know, upped the ante on looking yeah, for him. They yeah. can't find him. There's nothing done. to suggest that they've got any idea that he's there. And this gentleman says, you know what, we reckon he's going to come back and he's going to come back for Christmas. He's going to make sure he destroys Christmas and he's going to want to see himself on the news. So they feel like he's got to this point now where it's all about causing maximum harm, maximum psychological yeah. detriment to the community. And I can see why they would think that. Happens to be the case. So on November 24, so the police set up a trap and they have a house with two old ladies and a priest. And they put them in there and they just wait. And a, and a couple of convenience store owners. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've, and they, they've griswolded they the fuck out, out of the house so it's got Christmas lights they send everywhere. A note to all the communities say, just FYI, these people are coming and they're going to have Christmas at this house. Yep. It's a cunning plan. The door's unlocked. Everyone's welcome. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and the lights are off, yeah. We've cancelled Halloween, but I don't know how you're going to tell the kids there's going to be no Christmas because your serial killer's going <laughs> to steal that from you too. Happy days in the Miramichi. Kill Santa. Mm. The 24th of November, 1989, Alan Legere is in St. John. Now, I did not look up where St. John was, but it's not in Moncton, it's I don't know that it's in the Miramichi. I think it's probably outside the Miramichi because he wants to get to the Miramichi. Anyway, so he gets into a cab and he says to the young guy who's the cab driver, um, I need you to take me to Moncton. I've missed the last train. And the guy goes, okay. And then Alan gets out a, a shotgun, puts it at his, you know, his neck and says, because the guy starts to call. And this is what I thought was so funny when I laughed at the time. Do you remember when a cab used to have to call dispatch? So he had to oh, yes. like so pick someone up. Yeah. And, he yes. had to say who he's taking, where he's taking them. So he goes to grab the walkie-talkie. I guess you call I can't remember what you call it. Anyway, he's calling dispatch. And while he's talking to him, he puts the gun to him and he says, tell them you're taking me to Moncton and that I've already paid. He goes, okay. So he says, I'm taking this guy to Moncton. He's missed the last train. He's already paid. You know, all good. Don't worry. Got the gun at him. And he says to him, if I see one light, one light, one, you know, from a police car or whatever else, you're dead. So let's get on with it. And off they go. As they're driving along, the taxi driver's wondering what he's going to do. He's like, you know, do I run into somebody else? What do I do? How am I going to get out of here? I've got to drive. He's got the gun to me. But it's yeah. so cold and so icy that they end up in a in a bit of a struggle in the cab and, and, and then the car starts to move on the snow and they end up down an embankment and they're like in snow, like it's it's snowing or has snowed. And so they're both able to get out of the taxi. He's still obviously got the gun and can kill him at any point. So they go up to the side of the road and Legere flags down another car. And he's I really feel like this in. is a movie. I don't know if it's the way you're telling oh, no, it, but I feel like I'm, I'm watching a movie it's now. It's unbelievable. It's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? This is the whole thing. So when I started looking into it, I was like, oh, my God, I was getting really excited. You can probably tell by my voice. I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. I know because I don't really have to, There's, you know, the gory bits I haven't seen, I just know this, it's just like being on a ride. Anyway, so they've, they've crashed the car or they've gone down the ditch. They're now up on the side of the road and they're trying to flag down another car to, to get them away from that. They are successful 
I was just going to let you know, um, St John is an hour and a half's drive from Monkton. Brilliant. Brilliant, because that is exactly where it should be, right? Just far right. enough away, but not too far. So that is, you know, if you were in a cab and someone says, oh, it's already paid for or whatever else, you could go, okay, it's not beyond yeah, the realms yeah. of possibility. Yeah, it's not it's workable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant. And probably outside the Miramichi. I need some water. So I need some beer. I know. <laughs> I'm sure you do. You might have to go get far your out. Italian goon. Your Italian that good bagel. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right because we, we did go and get Gorno, some other ones. Gorno bagel. Uh, <laughs> per favore. Per favore, Gorno bagel. Vino sfuso. As, as Clarkie was suggesting, Whoa. this does sound like a movie. Wait till you hear this bit. So, Escusa, mi vino sfusa, per favore, cask one. Right. Oh. Gee, it's not vino della casa. No. Vino de la Goon Bag, I think it's called. Sfusa. Vino de la Goon Bag. Look at that, right? Vino de la Goon Bag, yeah. Uno vino de la Goon Bag, per favore. Vino sfuso. Alan Legere and the cab driver that he has hostage are now standing on the side of the highway trying to flag down uh, another car. And Alan is successful. In fact, he's successful in getting a car that has an off-duty Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer driving. Wow. So he gets in and tells her to drive. So he's taken the the other taxi driver in. So he's taken the taxi driver with him. So now he's got two hostages. He's got the off-duty police officer. She's driving. And he's got the cab driver in the back with him. And off they set for Moncton. However, her car is getting getting low on fuel. Are they going to pick someone else up along the way? No, they stop to refuel. But he gets out. He takes the keys with him. This is the, the there's keys. one bit in this that I just cannot believe. He gets out, <laughs> he puts the fuel in, and then he goes in to pay. That's a bit I just can't get my head around, right? Wouldn't you just get in and drive off if you were on oh, the land? No, that's like, a good beyond point. At this point, you've yeah. killed everybody. He's I mean, you think, oh gosh, I want to go pay. Yep. But he doesn't go in yeah. and hurt those people. So he goes in, he pays, and at this moment, the off-duty police officer says to the taxi driver, I've got my second, I've got my spare keys with me. So she puts the keys in and she floors it and she leaves <gasps> Alan Legere with the gun at the servo, right? Imagine a poor service station attendant. <laughs> but Alan Legere has somewhere to be. So Alan Legere hijacks a truck driver. So third hostage of the evening. You know, he he didn't want to disappear. He could have at that point, right? At that point, they've gone off into the distance in a car and he could have gone hidden. He could have gone round the back and gone into the dark and been on yeah. the run again. But he doesn't want to at this point. He's he got wants a mission, he's got a plan. He's a man. He's a on man a with a plan. I Is suspect it because he did. they identified who he was and he went to jail that he just hates them all and wants to go and... No, no, Destroy. it's not a thing. Don't know. Oh, there's no. But I did okay. see someone interviewed, and he said that he believes that all of the crimes that he committed were totally premeditated. There was nothing sort of like, oh, I might just happen upon these two women and rape so them. So he knew and them, or knew yeah. of them, or something. Well, he would have known of them, but they didn't necessarily have. There was no sort of beef between them or anything like that. But in terms of the shock that they'd have to the community, how accessible they were, who they were, their profile, how they were respected by the community, he seems to think that they, that played a role in it. Oh, that's right. Although I don't yeah. know okay. so much with the the other sisters who were in a bit more of a remote thing maybe it's just the idea of them being totally vulnerable i don't know mm. anyway so meanwhile back to alan alan's in uh alan legere has hijacked a truck driver 
he wants to get back to the Miramichi. So he's taken three hostages and, of course, by this point the off-duty police officer has been able to notify the police. So they are finally successful in being able to create a roadblock that stops the truck. And to be honest, it's a little bit of an anticlimax in the sense that he mm. actually just comes down. I think there's a small struggle but nothing major. They, you know, they take the weapon off him and all of a sudden he's in custody. It's kind of a little bit of an anticlimax, don't you think, at that point? You would have thought really? that there was wow. some incredible so stand. the Christmas Day thing never eventuated. Yeah. Not at all. It could have been one of those things, you know, he's a diehard and I don't know it very well, but it could have become a Christmas movie. Do you know what I mean? If he had have just got to the Christmas Day scene and people go, that is a Christmas movie and people go, it's absolutely not a Christmas movie. It could have been The Monster of Miramichi. Yeah, yeah, it just happened around Christmas. Isn't it a Christmas movie? (laughs) Anyway, no, it's not even going to be a contender. Well, it's definitely not now, isn't it? So it was said that he was unrecognisable, someone who'd been following one of the... He was um, not like his victims, but in a different no, sense. No, but not, not in a different way. So one of the journalists that had been following the story and they were desperate to get to print the next day, he said, the one thing we need and the one thing we didn't have was a photograph of Alan Legere. And they finally got a photo of him. He said, I was so shocked when I saw him. He said, you know what? He would have walked past me in the street and I would not have recognised him. Because Alan Legere, for the most part, and most images you'll see, he's got a wild mop of curly hair and a beard with these incredibly Mm. piercing blue eyes. But by the time he was arrested, he had lost 40 pounds because he'd been living in the woods and he had short hair and no beard. Of course, they went out to The complete opposite of what happened to that bloke on Lost. You know that show where they're on the island forever and that bloke... Yeah, never lost never weight. Never lost weight. I know, it's incredible. And that's why we know this story isn't a movie because he actually did lose lost weight. Lost the weight, yeah. They were able to find a camp in which he had based himself and I guess maybe not that surprising, it was up in the trees. He was, ah, yeah, right. But he'd lived up there for a number of months. I mean, I'm sure he moved around and at this point he had gone away from the Miramichi. But whilst, you know, I probably think from May through till November, that's where he was, living in these camps up in the trees. Okay, so now we need to move on to sort of the trial. And I don't need to go into it a great deal, to be honest, but there were a couple of interesting things. One of them was where were they going to have this trial take place? Where could they find people that were not totally compromised? Yeah. Correct. So, of course, it had to occur outside the Miramichi. 45 minutes down the road, I think, is the normal. And there was something else quite interesting that I'd read about the jurors, like how many people they had to go through to get to the number that they needed. Uh, Oh, I can't remember. They they had like, they started with like 500 people to start with and then there were so many people that knew people. There's too many, even if they weren't even, they were outside the area, it was just, it was tricky to actually find a place to have the trial and to, to find some jurors. This would be the first time I think that DNA was used in Canadian history to convict a criminal. I think there has been other instances around the time where that was talking about having someone pardoned because it, it, would, it would prove that it wasn't them. In the trial, it's been stated, and it probably is true, the jury wouldn't have necessarily understood at that time in, you know, 19... Oh, actually, we're probably going to 1991 now, what the DNA findings truly meant. Mm. I mean, people would struggle a bit now, but, I mean, in those days it must have seemed beyond anybody's realms of comprehension. Especially if he was a (laughs) non-secreter. Absolutely. So the trial itself started on the 28th of August in 1991, and on the 3rd of November, Alan Legere was convicted of four times degree 
murder in the first degree. He was sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 25 years. But so I don't 25 years for the four. Yes, yeah, that's but that's it, the way the Canadian system works. They they Yeah, yeah. That's the top you can get. More lenient. Yeah. I did miss one little bit actually, which was back in 1990, he, they addressed him escaping. Having captured him, the first yep. trial was he received set 9 years for escaping custody, kidnapping and common assault for attacking Peggy Olive in the car park. The lady in the road, Outside the yeah, hospital, yeah. yep. He already had his initial sentence of uh, life in prison, but it had, you know, much lower parole. Then he got the nine years for, you know, escaping custody and now he's also got four murder in the first degree and no parole for 25 years. So where are we at now? Well, as I understand it, you have a community of people who are never, ever the same. So many of them would suffer from what probably didn't really have a name at the time, but, you know, post-traumatic stress. You know, the monster of Miramichi is kind of uh, the identity of the area changed and what people thought of it and what it was known for. You know, it was a real watershed moment in the history of the area. And in people being people being interviewed and saying, you know, where is he now? What's he up to? He was only allowed out of his cell for one hour a day when he was in high security for many, many years. And, you know, they'll say, you know, what is he doing? And everyone's convinced he's plotting his escape. Mm. What I find kind of galling about the whole thing is really from the first time that he was imprisoned, he has constantly tried to get parole. And even this very last, in 2020, August 2021. of 2020, he again applied for day parole. And every time he, you know, comes anywhere near that, the whole community is up in arms, and it was denied. So he's still alive, and he remains imprisoned. He's moved. He's been moved out of the special handling unit, which is for the most high risk prisoners in Canada. He was moved out of there in 2015, and he's now in the Edmonton institution. He's been there since 2015 to present. Is he three years out of getting out, or is the nine years and all no. the others consecutive? I don't think he gets he it. Ever? Life he gets prison. life, his first opportunity for paroles at 25, but he's serving life, four terms of it, and it sounds like they're not going to parole him. Oh, did he get four terms of it? Sorry, I missed that. I thought. Well, I'm not sure, yes. but I, I, yes. I think basically what they're saying is you can't get out. You're, you're in. Okay. Which is pretty good. No, that's He's pretty good. Yeah. To the society. That, I just that's what I was asking about he, earlier, he is, the 25 what, years. Yeah. He is a crazy man with a destination yeah, for his craziness him. to play out. Yeah. So that, my friends, is the story of the monster of the Miramichi, Alan Legere. Well, excellent return to the gore. I appreciate well, that. Oh, yeah, God. That was a good one. It wasn't too gory in a strange way. No, no, it was, it was just fine. It was such it, a ride, I thought. It was didn't have to a bit get... bizarre, although, yeah, yeah. slight anti-climax. Yes, it was point. a little bit, I agree. By the time you get it, it's like, oh, yeah, they yeah. just came out of the truck. And I'm like, what? There was no shootout? There was, you no know. No one blew no... up a building. Yeah. yeah. No, Nothing. see, that would have made it no the Christmas, mo- Christmas movie. <laughs> That's yeah, right. It would have he he needs to get from yeah. the 24th of, if he had just waited until like the 24th of December, there are a couple of things had he known then, yeah, he just... He didn't play it out yeah. right. He could have really had a Christmas movie hit on his hands. Mm. The story of mm. Christmas in Miramichi. The Miramichi. Right. Would you like to uh, sentence anyone? He's so violent and he's had, you know, from, from the outset and obviously he's physically very strong and he's frightened people. So I'm kind of tempted to put him in, you know, like one of those giant plastic bubbles 
like balls that rolls around. So he's uh, he can't actually yeah. reach anyone. He can't actually touch anyone in one of those. He's sort of just contained in a little plastic bubble, bouncing off things and frustrated that he has no control over anything. And no one's frightened of him because he's the man in the bubble and he can't get out of it. And and the world is safe and we can all sort of laugh at his antics as he rolls around in the wilderness in his bubble. There you go. That's my sentence for him. I like that. <laughs> That's quite funny. But where's the bubble going to be located? Because I feel like the town would be on edge in case the bubble well, burst. No, I, I can't think be we'll, anywhere in the Miramichi. It has to be a we'll long way Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's maybe be... in Alaska. Maybe in Alaska. Yeah. And so most of the where comes no across is probably a good idea. Grizzly bears, yeah. oh, you yes. know. and Antarctic, a couple of polar bears ready to snack on him if they wolves. can. Yeah, yeah like something that. like that. Yeah. Like sort of just bouncing no around. But you can't hurt any humans. You can't get out yep. of the bubble anyway. But, you know, he gets a fright every now and then because a big bear comes up and goes boo at him kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, tries to burst the oh, bubble. Grr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice one. Well done. I'm, um, like there's a whole lot of physical violence, obviously, and, and we spoke about that, but the mental Anguish. impact that he put on that whole community. I mean, I would imagine that community would still be fearful that somehow he'll escape or somehow he'll yeah, get out. And God, if he was born in 48, he'd be. 75 or whatever now. 75 so he's, now, yeah. Yeah, so he's not going to be anywhere near as bad. But but I just think it's there's a, there's a very deliberate two-pronged attack that he's put on that community. It wasn't just I'll kill some people and that'll scare them, but, you know, what he did with the priest and the, the thought of coming back for Christmas, it was really about how do I get maximum impact. So he's one, I think the monster term is absolutely appropriate for him. Um, the thing that I was wondering about is whether after his rages he had any kind of remorse and, you know, sometimes people get really angry, do something and then feel really bad about it. I don't think he felt yeah, that. Yeah, I did. I screwed my kids, so, but I mean. <laughs> yeah, like it's that kind of thing though, right, where you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I don't think he felt any of that. I think he... Um, in, in some way, there's probably a little bit of I don't know whether whether he goes, yeah, nailed that, or I, I don't know how he sort of how his head works. But the the bit I do want is for him to you know that those white noise things that they use as torture, and they put them on, they put the headphones on people, and it starts to drive them crazy. I kind of want him to be in a constantly enraged state without being able to do anything. Other than, you know, if it has to, if he's got to harm anyone, so he's, there's only himself that he can harm because I think your, your one was great, Schmitty, where, whereby no one can get hurt by his bubble protecting him. But in some ways I would like him to be a bit of a victim of his own yeah. anger and, and violence. And so yeah. if there was a, you know, a nice stone room that we could drop him into that he can't get out of and then play that sort of music to him constantly... <laughs> I think that would work. Okay. And Swanee. Do you know what? I hadn't given it any thought at all whilst I was looking at the case. I was so excited. Glass rod. Glass rod. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I wondered about that at the start. Hot with glass that. rod. Because he Ooh, sets oh. people on fire. So a hot glass rod. Yeah. Molten anyway, just glass rod. Then... Just brainstorming there. Just, uh, this, yeah. But the hard part that I, well, the bit that I struggle with is the fact that without any kind of idea of what brought him to this point, 
It's yeah, hard you for can't me to, do a nut, the old no, psychological nut punch. I don't have yeah. nut, the psychological nut punch. I can't give him yeah. that. What I really liked about yours was the fact that if he couldn't create any fear in, I didn't, I didn't want any humans involved. Yeah, mayhem yeah, yeah. or anything. Yeah. Oh, just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if someone like him around. feels anything. Do you know what I mean? I just can't imagine that he could. You, the way he's behaved is without mm. human emotion. It like he has some kind of extreme rage about something, like mm. where all yeah. this violence comes from. Yeah. So if he's got no outlet for that rage and he can't victimise anyone, maybe to Clarky's point, he can only turn it on himself. Don't you find it interesting, like, in all of the stuff that I've seen, I can't find any reference to his family at all. It's not like he wouldn't mm. be digging for that, right? So where are they? That's strange. Mm. That you know, normally that's the first thing. Made that... a point of changing their names. <laughs> Maybe good citizens and people. Because if you think about, um, who was it, uh, Monster's Ball? What was no. uh, um, Yeah, yeah, Elaine, uh, the woman. No, it's yeah, Monster yeah. and it's Eileen Warnos. Sorry, yes. No, Eileen Warnos. Eileen Warnos. So, so yeah, yeah, I was I was going with the monster reference and I got it wrong again. Yeah. But so <laughs> the the fact that you know what what she went through to get to that point versus what yes, he went right? through to get to the point where they both ended up having that monster reference attached to them. Yeah. It's just it's completely nuts that you know and she shot people he's but she gone didn't through torture nothing. them in this way. She, no, she, I she agree. didn't beat them to death and stomp no, on them to ribs dislocated but from she their had spine. Been attacked, right? Yeah. Oh no, yeah, she had she'd a been. horrendous she'd had horrendous and he may have had that in his childhood. He she probably was raped did at some and point, and I'm beaten sure. And treated very, very badly by even in her adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. No, she had a hard time. I could have assumed that she probably had know. Pretty horrendous. Whereas we don't know don't what's going on with him. Right? Yeah. Just says where he was born. I've got nothing else to work with. Mm. Oh, Make it up. <laughs> Make well, it up. Maybe, could just, <laughs> maybe just have him being hunted constantly because he, this idea that he was using it as a killing ground and that maybe he's being, I don't know, I don't think that's good enough to be honest. It's too easy on him. You could put him in his treehouse and set the woods on fire. Yes, like yes, yes, yes. What yes. about, is there anything at Trial by Wine World that I haven't remembered that we could, um, I'm struggling, I don't know. We could banish him, I suppose. Uh, there's lots of things in Trial by Wine World. And if not, you just make it up. Trial by Wine World is your oyster. Mm. Roller coaster yes. of, so, because I, of because razor blades. Initially, there didn't seem to be any real connection or reason for what he did. He just did it. That's why I struggle with how to punish him because I'm like, well, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't really like to do too much harm. I think that's right. Well, though. if it's about no connection, why don't we just disconnect his ribs from his spine? <gasps> yeah. You said it, fine. Oh, or dislocate, dislocate <laughs> all of his bones so that he's got no leverage. So mm. when he gets enraged, he just maybe, pops maybe, out and a like jelly, like yeah, an, maybe, yeah, an angry maybe jellyfish. Maybe a bit of a jellyfish. A burnt jellyfish. There we go. Do you remember we, we've done that before? I used an X Men reference where the yes. bloke turned into a jellyfish. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well done. Sold. All right. Well. Nice. That was, well played. I've never heard of it. Another one of those oh, classic <laughs> serial killers I've never heard of. Well done. <laughs> it's a worry, isn't it? When you when you yeah. never heard of it, very unsettling. What? How can I not have heard of this? Well, it turns out there's more of them than we realised. I think. Absolutely. But. Very good. Yes. And as we say every week, miss you already. Cha cha. Cha cha, my lovelies. Cha cha. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com trial by wine or visit our website www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.